Hey guys, in this episode of Developers Hangouts podcast, I hang out with the CEO of Snipcart, Francois, and we talk about how the acquisition of Snipcart went, how that affected him mentally, physically. We talk about crypto, talk about video games, books, and so much more. And I really hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Developers Hangouts podcast. Today, I am met with the CEO of Snipcart, Francois. Francois, why don't you introduce yourself, tell people about Snipcart, and then we can start hanging out. Hey, uh, hi, James. Thanks for having me. So Snipcart is a developer-first shopping cart platform. Uh, it was founded in 2013, and we've been following the web dev space closely and contributing to it. Uh, via content, via integrations, a whole bunch of stuff. So yeah, basically, you can add Snipcart to any website. So we're agnostic about the technology that you choose to use. Snipcart lives in the front end. So um, as long as you have access to your HTML source, you're good. And uh, a lot of front-end developers and front-end centric uh, projects use us. But also, you know, a lot of uh, more traditional setups, uh, the coupled CMSs of the world and whatnot. I'm the CEO over there. Uh, my full name is Francois Lantier Nadeau. Uh, I've been with the business for eight years, started as a marketing intern, then led marketing, then became a partner, product owner, and then CEO. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here uh, sharing some thoughts and just uh, having a chat with you, James. Yeah. I mean, congratulations. Recently, you guys were acquired, yeah. um, which is which is super exciting for, for any business yeah. whether you're you've been around for a while or not can you talk about how that acquisition even came about yeah yeah so snipcart has always been uh, bootstrapped for mm -hmm. those of us who may have followed our journey um, wrote about it on indie hackers and medium and other places but we we came to life inside of a web development agency in quebec city and uh, eventually we realized the product uh, was uh deserved a life uh, of its own and we created a different corporation and scaled that uh, that company as a uh, separate entity from that web dev agency uh, the agency is called spectrum in quebec city and um <clears throat> you know as we scaled the only debt that we had was towards spectrum and we in a few years we eventually repaid it and uh we, we enjoyed, you know, being uh, bootstrapped, kind of the underdog, competing uh, with big, big giants who had a lot of budget, a lot of money. Uh, I think we, we managed to, to be a cool actor in this space and get some, you know, developer capital and some social love uh, coming back towards us. So that's kind of how we grew. We became profitable, I think, in uh, five years in or something like that. And then um, as things started to stabilize revenue-wise and the team started to scale a little bit more, we, uh, we got hit with COVID. And if you're an e-commerce business, uh, it's bittersweet, but being hit by COVID means all of your numbers are just like shooting up. Um, so it was, it was weird, right? A lot of suffering uh, psychologically and economically all over the world, but our... 
um, revenue, our signups are all exploding. So we figured uh, that we should own that luck and just like keep our heads down, take care of our mental health and keep shipping good product, good marketing, good support. That's what we did in 2020. And we had our record year. Uh, we passed the 1 million uh, ARR for the first time, uh, stayed very profitable. So very interesting spot that left us in, um, in, in 2021. And, you know, for about a year or so, since uh, ever since I became CEO, um, I, had, I had wanted to find a way to bridge the gap between Snipcar's actual position and uh, its potential in the market. So many developers would come up to us and say, hey, Frank, uh, why are you not integrated with, uh, let's say, uh, ShipStation uh, already? Or why isn't there a native plugin uh, or a, a starter kit for Next.js? Or like, you know, all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think when I, when, I, when I was telling people, listen, we're like only a, barely a 10-team team, pe 10, team uh, 10 people team, apologies. Uh, they were like, oh, shit, like, I, I thought you were, uh, you were bigger than that. And uh, people t thought, you know, Snipcart was bigger and more funding and had kind of a, it came with more expectations with regards to feature development, support uh, delays and integrations and all that jazz. If you couple that with the momentum our category was having, so let's call it the modern and slash headless e-commerce, uh, it came with a lot of opportunities. And I had this in my mind, how can I bridge that gap? Because I, I love our lifestyle business. I love how, how cool the vibe is. There's not a lot of stress and pressure on me and my teammates, you know. So, but, but, but I still want us to, to actualize some of that potential. So I started looking at different avenues. Uh, lots of VCs were knocking on our doors. And, uh, you know, some... Um, how do you call these folks? Like, uh, it's like SaaS firms that just mm -hmm. come in and then buy your SaaS and work on it for five years and then sell it, you know. And uh, a few strategic acquirers, you know, so bigger companies, bigger like sister companies that could like literally buy you out. Um, VCs were, I decided against uh, raising some money just because I think the kind of early hyper growth uh, dynamics weren't a good match with my, my, my own psychological profile and my teams. Um, so we, we didn't want to do that. And then the other firms, you know, meh, was kind of a meh option. However, uh, eventually we were approached by uh, one strategic acquirer, which is uh, Duda, D-U-D-A. It's a site builder. Uh, and, and, and things just kind of fell into place, you know. Um, we didn't want to sell, however, uh, and uh, I remember in the beginning telling uh, there was this woman emailing me saying the, the, the CEO wanted to meet me. And, uh, this was a uh, summer of 2020, and I was like, you know what? Uh, I'm not I'm not available until next year. You know, so mm -hmm. I pushed that stuff off. And at that point, I didn't quite know he wanted to buy Snipcar. But six months later, when 2021 came around. They reached out and I was like, geez, these guys don't give up easy, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> so we started a discussion. Uh, the, the four partners said, you know what? I don't, we, we don't want to sell. So let's just throw a, throw a number out there that they'll probably just refuse. And they said, yeah, sure, let's talk. So we kind of were forced to um, seriously consider this. And the long story short is that we validated a few things. First, we said, 
are they serious about buying? And by having discussions with them and other people, we realized they were very serious. Um, same thing for the price. Then um, is there a technical fit? Like, would we see a beautiful product roadmap, a beautiful integration between our e-commerce product and their web building platform? And, and surprisingly, yes. Like, the more we dug into the product, the more we found, like, interesting avenues to explore. And then last but not least was, is there a culture fit? Uh, Duda is a bigger organization. They, uh, they're around 200, 250 people. They have offices in the States, uh, in Brazil, Israel. So, and they've been around since 2009, I think. So, you know, they've seen their share of like uh, software eating the world decades and whatnot. Um, but, but we're a very small team and younger than them. So my goal was to say, in no way am I going to sell Snipkart to a company that makes it shit to work at Snipkart. You know what I mean? Like this mm-hmm. was important for me. I love, I, I love the relationship I have with work, with my job. I didn't want to lose that. I didn't want to lose that for employees. So we pondered this. You know, we, we looked at Glassdoor reviews. We met some other people in the team. We asked people who knew them. And eventually we kind of figured out that, you know, these guys were cool. Uh, <laughs> The, if for the fans of the Big Lebowski, uh, their um, Duda is kind of a node to the dude, the, the the character played by Jeff Bridges. So for us at Snipcar, we always say that we take our work seriously, but ourselves not so much. And there was a fit uh, on that on that level, you know, at Duda. And the thing that sealed the deal for us, to be frank, is the fact that they they really respected what we built at Snipcar. And they were intent on letting us continue to grow it, like with more resources, more backing. It's just that as we hire a bit faster, uh, half of our team would be dedicated to building a, a native custom e-commerce module inside of Duda using our technology and talent. So like, when you add all of these things together, even if you don't want to sell and you, you take a lot of pride in your independence, it becomes kind of too sweet of a deal to ignore. And it's not just about you as a founder. It's also about the, the team, you know? Some people have stuck around for years with us and we were offering, you know, decent wages, but nothing extraordinary, uh, especially not in the crazy ecosystem of a job market that we have now. So by with the Duda acquisition, we could uh, bump everyone 25%, offer stock options, uh, slowly but surely uh, upgrade the perks. So. That was like a net positive for the rest of my team too. So we, we decided to go all in, you know, and uh, it spent, uh, we spent, we spent seven months negotiating uh, back and forth thing, wow. uh, lawyers, fiscalists, uh, accountants, all that jazz, due, due diligence, uh, everything that, that, that you hear about when, when you hear about acquisitions, we, we went through it, you know. And it was very, very hard. Uh, there were some disagreements between uh, the part, the founding team at Snipcard. Um, there was a lot of stress personally on me. I was like handling the negotiations and, and, and everything. And you know, the big, the, the more you, the closer you get to that closing the deal and having the, these life-changing events and amounts of money uh, dropping on everyone, uh, the bigger, like the more important that kind of gain becomes and you're afraid to lose it. So psychologically, I struggled a lot, uh, but I was happy I pushed through. I first order a business when I announced it to the team, people signed their contracts, everything went well. We announced it to our customers, no like big uh, backlash or whatever. And first order of business, you know, I, I, I went to my mom and I said, 
all right, so now I'm taking care of the, the house, the car, and the insurance, you know? So that was my first thing. And, uh, like, I was very proud of myself for that. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's kind of a fast-forward story. It's a long one, so I've been rambling a bit. If you have any, <laughs> if you have any questions or input, man, uh, jump in, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it sounds like, you know, with this hyper growth in e-commerce through COVID, yeah. which, you know, everyone was affected by COVID one way or the other. You were either in the, you know, net in the job realm, in the net positive or the net negative, like you either lost your job or your job became more important than it was uh-huh. a year ago. Or uh-huh. in the space, for example, you know, Snipcart e-commerce really, really did take off um, because people didn't want to go to brick and mortar anymore or they had or to shut their brick. Yeah, or they couldn't, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, that's that's awesome to hear that, you know, I, I knew you guys were bootstrapped and, and when I heard the news that you guys had been acquired, I was surprised because, <laughs> yeah. because that was a, yeah, yeah. always been your attitude which was like hey we're bootstrapped and like yeah. we're a cool group but also after doing some research of like who acquired you it, it almost yeah. felt like it made sense it just Thank sort you. Of, yeah it, it, it wasn't like oh it's just some random company that's bought them and now snipcart's gonna go away and we'll never see them yeah. again it was yeah. the opposite it was like oh they're cool they're like a building site that you can like drop pieces in and it looks like you guys can still do what you do every day, which is oh, yeah. still be very indie, which is like, yeah. hey, we're still a small team. We're still cranking out cool products and and content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. content, everything. All those kinds of things that you've been doing all this this whole time is uh-huh. not going away, which to me is exciting. It allows you to still be that personality that yeah. you guys have been working on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and thank you for saying that. I mean, that was one of my fears, you know, uh, after all these years of like uh, expressing our, our pride and our how we how we managed to get by with a, a small resources and blah, 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 and going, oh, we sold it. Like, ah, damn, am I going to look like a sellout? Like, what, right. are, gonna, what are, are people going to think? And, you know, that, that was core to our messaging when we announced the acquisition where like Snipcard isn't going anywhere. Like the product, the marketing, the support, it's just gonna keep growing and hopefully it'll be so for a lot of years right we'll see how yep. things go but if i'm being honest with you every co- every e-commerce company that had this covid boom going on during the uh lockdowns and covid right now they have uh, what i like to call the covid hangover mm-hmm. which is like okay so there was lots of money injected in the economy people couldn't spend physically in the real world so they spent a lot online, e-commerce companies benefited, blah, blah, blah. Now we're seeing inflation rear its ugly head. We're seeing delays and extra charges for shipping. We're seeing orders not being fulfilled. And I think just generally speaking, we're seeing a lot of uncertainty in the economy and less liquidity to invest in uh, like uh, e-commerce purchases. And uh, this has been like a like honestly just a punch in the face for us when we realized that our uh, our fall numbers like things are okay, but usually when we get to fall and we near you know Thanksgiving, Black Friday, holidays, all that jazz, like things just start to shoot up. Always like for for eight years it's been like that, and now it's not. You know, so it, it kind of forces you to whoa reevaluate your your approach and so like i can't only ride on that macro trend that macro trend right now is against me so how can i how can i 
make sure I succeed. And where we're, we're hard at work at Snipkart trying to trying to figure that out. And the good news is that there's a there's a lot of backing behind us now, right? right. So we have not only like financial resources behind us, but also expertise. Like uh, some <laughs> I've been doing like. Uh, working with the data analyst and financial uh, analyst and uh, I don't know product expert. You know they have they have VPs for everything over there. <laughs> right. So so I can turn around and get that that kind of help and and learn how a bigger company like has matured, which process they adopted, which one do I want to take on or not? And um, yeah, a big big learning experience, a big big challenge for Snipkart uh, these days, but. Uh, but I welcome it, you know, um, it's, it's, it's part of the process of like solving these hard problems. Yeah, absolutely. So talking about, you know, having these backings and now having this sort of people that you can turn to, what what does the, the roadmap for Snipcart look like in the next, you know, year or six? I don't know how far you're planning out right now, but like, <laughs> what, what, what does the future of Snipcart as a product and, and what do you guys got got in the works? Yeah, um, that's actually a great question. So the thing is, when we pitched to do the our Snipcart core roadmap, we call it Snipcart core now, like what we do with the initial business, uh, 80% of the stuff in there was already like appreciated and supported by Duda, meaning eventually they'd like to see these features live inside of their own platform. So that was good, you know. No need to go. Um, <laughs> no need to go and turn around and tell your whole team. Listen, all these cool things we wanted to do. Well, we're not going to do them anymore. So, uh, so that was the good news. Right now, we have what we call a dual roadmap. One is really about integrating Snipcart inside of Duda. I, I won't go like into a lot of length about this one. It's basically like creating uh, like the right APIs for, for two systems to connect, uh, having a new kind of code base where all of what Snipcart affords uh, can live inside that code base. Um, yeah, but for Snipcart core, uh, we have a, a few things coming up. So we did the new website recently. We used the Dato CMS uh, and Nuxjs in the front end, but uh, some of the more important uh, items on the roadmap are the improvement of digital goods. Like we offer people the possibility of selling uh, digital goods, but it, it was kind of limited. So we're incrementally improving that feature. Um, we have uh, the big, big piece is a easy post integration. So by doing customer interviews, and I, I, I try to adopt the jobs to be done framework when doing customer interviews. And I, I tried my hand at that last year. And we realized that once you're up and running with Snipcart and you, ha you, 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 you have success, right? So a lot of sales, a lot of orders to be shipped, then that's kind of where Snipcart's job ends. Yep. Meaning that the amounts of features and needs you have when you're selling and shipping a lot of orders, like physically, like the labels, the packages, the freights, the the shipping fees, choosing the best company, handling returns, handling updates, tracking shipping, you know, all that. This is a whole product in and of itself. Right. And being a, a bootstrap company, we just, we, well, an independent company, we decided to go, this isn't the job of our product. Let's find a product that handles this job very, very well. 
and integrate with it. And we we landed on easy posts for now. We might integrate with some other ones. So it's going to be interesting. Some of the features of easy posts will live inside of Snooker's dashboard, but some of them will live, uh, uh, of course, on their on their end. Uh, and the goal is to better support merchants, right? Because we're developers at heart, so. We kind of have intuitions or at least proximity to a developer's reality. We know the bugs. We know the debugging. We know the, the customization challenges they'll, they'll have. So we can, we can really build for them more easily. Merchants, however, the truth is we, we're not merchants. Like We're right. not running e-commerce stores. So we have to stay closer to these people. And customer interviews is, is one way to do that, to, to do this do this wow i'm struggling <laughs> and um yeah so that later part of the funnel of the customer journey where you're all set up the integration is running smoothly and you're selling a lot of stuff we we're going to improve on that especially through shipping fulfillment integration uh we're we're uh, boosting a cart teaming also so this is something that comes up a lot snipcraft is very very customizable but our latest v3 like there are improvements to how we handle CSS uh, that can make uh, front-end developers' lives easier. So we're working on that. We have some uh, new gateways we want to support, some things like uh, Apple Pay, Google Pay, and Stripe that we're still not supporting. Maybe, um, what's it called? Uh, like the pay by installments, Affirm, I think? Yeah, or some, um, yeah, yeah, that's one of them. Yeah. yeah. This, uh, and then we're going to like beef up subscriptions and make it available on other payment gateways than Stripe because that's like a very powerful feature in Snipcard that is good for merchants and good for us because there's more revenue and regularity and income coming in. So, um, yeah, the, I mean, this is just like a tip of the iceberg, but some of the stuff we're going to be working on. So it definitely sounds like you guys are, are all in. We're going to all in on improving the product because. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. The, the product itself, right now, I, you know, I used it for a video recently and, and, you know, I, I've talked to me and Colby Fayak are, are friends. So we've talked yeah, a few cool. times. Yeah, yeah, we're friends. So I was talking to him about how, how much of a joyous experience it is to just be able to drop a shopping cart into <laughs> yeah. a product and be like, and I'm done. Like, there's no like, big heavy overload it's very yeah, very yeah. simple and if you understand the core mechanics behind it it, it 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 is very good for those you know easy to build e-commerce sites regardless of tech like i use Next.js, mm -hmm. and it cool. took me you know i think i think i sent him a message and it was like 20 minutes later i was done and i was <laughs> like this is so cool like yeah. i'm so glad that like this is what i decided to use uh for a video and and yeah you nice. guys have you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear that, that improving the product is there. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. And, and, and something that people don't always kind of catch about Snipcart in the beginning is that, of course, like it's a front-end shopping cart that can be dropped into any web app or website. But it also comes with a like hosted yep. web app, which is the dashboard, the merchant dashboard, where you can manage orders, shipping, abandoned carts, discounts taxes, currencies, you know, all the stuff you need to manage a fully blown e-commerce store already lives inside of our merchant dashboard. So it's not just a, uh, like it's a full e-commerce solution. Yeah. It's just that it's front-end implementation is very, very lightweight. Yeah, and and that's the, the, the best part, I think, at least from a product standpoint that I've seen is that a lot of the other 
e-commerce merchants, it, even if it's they claim it to be fairly simple, it, you feel like you have to build and build and build versus Snipcart. Yeah. It was like, drop the front end in and that part's done. And hey, by the way, if you go to this dashboard, here is everything and here's where it lives. Yeah. And you can just click around and everything worked really well. Yeah. I mean, the, the market is crazy these days. Like I've yeah. seen, uh, there, there are so many e-commerce solutions yep. popping up. And I, when I was younger, I used to be like scared shitless, right? I'd see uh, back in the day, it was uh, Shopify's buy button came out, which yep. was kind of a add to any card, uh, add to any site, uh, a, a shopping cart and a checkout experience. We were like, that's it. We're done. They're going to kill us. They're going to take away. But as I grew older, I kind of realized that the e-commerce pie is just expanding, right? Like, and if you, if you look at like boring statistics of the percentage of total consumer purchase going from physical to e-commerce, it just, it's just going up. Right. Yep. So especially when you're independent and you're not trying to compete against uh, Amazon or Shopify, all you need is a thin slice of that huge pie and like serve these people well, have a product market fit with these people and, and then you're good to go. Right. You can grow a lot. So uh, that's kind of what we, we did at Snipcart. And now what we're going to see, like, can, can this keep working now that uh, there are macro forces kind of more shaky in, in, in play? But yeah, fun stuff so you you talked about how you transitioned from being the an intern right that's that was your first uh, role yeah. at snipcart all yeah. the way to ceo like what was the so when you took on that from going from i guess operations to leadership yeah like how how did you manage that like what was I, I imagine that's a very big change to go from like being <laughs> a day-to-day guy doing day-to-day yeah. jobs into this like you've got to look at this huge picture of, of Snipcart in the future. Um, <laughs> how, how did that go? And, and uh, maybe you can talk about a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, dude, this is, this is a learning that is still in progress very much. So, um, so being a very small startup uh, in the beginning, it was mostly Charles and me and then three, uh, two or three other people in the first five years, let's say. So, your vision of growing the company is to say, okay, what are the operational problems we need to solve? And let's solve them quick or let's experiment quickly, put stuff out there, ship code, ship content, ship, you know, marketing, see what works, iterate on that. And like, like your, your ally in the beginning is speed, right? You can iterate very fast and you're very, very close to your customers and you can do things that don't scale. So in the beginning, you kind of internalize that to grow or to solve problems, you have to do stuff. Right? You have to right. write a blog post, uh, get some backlinks, ship a feature, uh, create an integration. Like you, you're very, very focused on doing things um, and actually doing them, like and not, not just listing them in a roadmap or something. So uh, this is embedded in your core when you're uh, like two, three, four, five people. So that's uh, for five or six years, five, let's say five years. That's what I did. And uh, eventually I became like the lead marketing. So I, I had people to manage, but I was still very much involved in the operations. Like I was doing uh, analytics. Uh, I was doing reporting. I was doing content. I was doing PR, uh, the kinds of interviews I'm doing now uh, uh, and chats I'm doing now. So very, very still in, in 
in the ops. But when you get to CEO um, and you get to – right now, I think we're 13 people and we want to be 20 by the end of the next year. So it's not huge numbers, right? Right. But it's big enough for you to have to shift your mindset, which is my reflex when there's a problem in the company is to go, well, what the hell? I'm just going to roll up my sleeve and then just, you know, Google some stuff on how to do this, uh, ping my network and say, hey, I got to do this ad thing or I got to do this tracking thing. How can I help me, please? And then get my hands dirty and try to fix it. But right now, this becomes counterproductive when I do that. Because this takes away from learning experiences or just opportunities to shine that that now belong to my team and right. not to me, you know? So one of my good friends, I was having lunch with him and I was saying, um, traffic is going down. I think I should get back into that like marketing game and like take four weeks to do it. And he was like, no, man, your job isn't to, to go and fix the problems. Your, your job is to go and find the people find the good people, motivate them, give them goals, give them incentives, be around them, find them great teammates and colleagues that they're inspired by. And like, you're building like a team now. You're not necessarily like building, I don't know, a content strategy. Or right. What I used to do a lot of content. So this to me is still a it's still a challenge. Um, and I, especially when it comes to marketing, you know, because it was my uh, quote-unquote baby. Like I built the, the, the whole content and SEO machine that, that drove our growth. So when I see it suffer, I'm like, oh, shit, I got I to gotta do something about it. But right now we, we have two uh, talented persons that I'm, I'm coaching over there and trying to put in the right direction. We got a bit of help from a consultant that I know that's going to maybe help us move the needle uh, organically. And um, yeah, so that's the bigger thing. That's the bigger thing. And then taking actual time to not do busy work because I, I like I'm a bit lazy uh, so doing busy work is easy right it's just yep. you open your inbox you open slack and you can do busy work all day like literally 10 hours a day I could do busy work so replying to this uh, supplier uh, answering a slack thing uh, just helping out here and there but you're not achieving a lot of things right and you're especially not thinking about the mid to long term. Right. So that's something I also learned from George, who was my uh, uh, the founder of Spectrum, the agency that we came from, and who was my he was my uh, my partner, and uh, him and Vincent and Charles, so we were four, and then George and Vincent exited when when we did the acquisition, and but but George was always like two steps ahead, like of like strategic moves. So if like something was going not so great with an employee. He already had like two people in mind in his network that could maybe come in. If there was like client needs coming up, he already knew who he would hire to serve this. And um, so, yeah, he, he was very like strategic in that sense. And I, I try to do the same, right? Because you want to build, you want to build with great people, but you also want to like inject a bit of redundancy in your team where at one point, if someone leaves, it shouldn't impact the whole team, right? You should either have processes or a big enough team in place that can support that or someone else that can fill in that role. So trying to see in advance a bit. And the, the last thing I'd say is a shift from uh, looking at what works now to looking at what will work in one, two, three, five, ten 10 years. 
And that's, that's, that's harder for me because I haven't done as much. But uh, I, I used to complain a lot when I was doing all the marketing that I never had time to, to do big picture stuff. And now I have it. But it's like you have to, you have to not do busy work. You have to uh, plug away, like research and think. And this isn't the same kind of work, you know. But I, but I, I, I love it. I just have to do more. <laughs> right. Yeah, I can imagine that being a very hard for, for anyone that's been in that. Like I'm the same way, right? Like I... I always want to solve a problem immediately. Like if something comes up, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, (laughs) all right. I'm in the code base. Let's figure out what's (laughs) wrong. And, and, you know, I, before the role I'm in now, I was a manager and I managed a team of three, um, which was five when I left, but it was the same thing. It would be like, oh, Hey, we have this problem. I can't figure it out. And instead of being, um, you know, I, get right in there in the code base start typing away and let's fix it together i had to like learn how to step away from that slowly and be like you know what here's a really good resource go and talk to that guy it's going to be a learning experience he'll be able to help you out and then you know come back and tell me what you've learned or you know tell me if you solved the problem or if you need more help guidance whatever and it was so hard for me it took me months of like actively being like here is somebody else that can help you, even though I really, really want to be in there and helping you with the code. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. So I imagine even at a higher level than that, going from management to like big, big picture stuff and thinking about two years, five years, seven years from now, like that must, that must really be challenging you know, for anyone. Another, another thing I think we could add to that is that when you hire people who are, especially the junior people, um, like your point of reference shouldn't be how you would have done this when you were still doing this, right? Because that you had a lot of experience, had had fuck ups in the past, and no new new shit. But that new person, I feel like in the beginning, I was very uh, irritated when like the the work or the, the final output wasn't the way I would have done it, or like as uh, as tight as I would have loved to, to see it. And eventually, I realized that there's a lot of uh, there's actually a lot of value in letting people do uh, ship something out that isn't perfect, but isn't brand damaging, let's say. And maybe it's a uh, 60, 70, 80% done or great. And just getting some stuff out there and letting them have actual to do uh, actual work living in the wild that you can do uh, give f- feedback on. Like this creates kind of a learning momentum, right? And I became more less, um, less uh, worried about the, the the degree like of quality or the uh, because i know that like if you're investing in a person this will come you know and i, yeah. I and and if i look back at the first blog post i was writing these were shit you know yep <laughs> like, uh, like we, we we had a low audience so thank, thank god for that because they didn't see the, the 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 whack stuff i was writing but like i did a lot of mistakes right so i have and and i got that's how i got good so I have to allow this for, especially for the junior people. So that, that helps me a bit with management to let go. Right. Yeah. And, and, and the, the delegating part for me has been, has been kind of forced upon me because I, I still have residual like concussion symptoms. I did a few concussions, like four of them. And sometimes my energy, like I just can't spend more time on a computer, for instance, right. or I'm low energy or something like that. And, 
I can't do the things. Like I literally can't do all the things. Sometimes it just makes sense to rely on that that team that you're building and delegate them. So um, yeah. So during the pandemic, um, it, it for me, you know, things like mental health and, and personal fitness all went down the drain. I think it did for everybody. Um, Cause you know, I yeah, go to the gym yeah. that I go to down the street or whatever, you know, all those things kind of went away. Um, you have recently hired a personal trainer at some point. <laughs> yeah. So that was something um, I told my close friends and family, if I nail this acquisition deal, I promised that I'm going to hire a personal trainer to invest some money into what really matters. So what um, like uh, health, Right. Um, so I did, and it was a nightmare in the first weeks. I wanted to throw up, and <laughs> I was I had a I have a lot of injuries from my wilder past, let's say, and um, so I became very uh, scared. Like I'm scared of like uh, like uh, spending energy or pushing on something, or like I'm always scared to like hurt myself or uh, worsen my injuries. But this dude, like he, he had had some similar injuries and he had a very like positive um, approach to that. And uh, like he knew when to push, well, when not to push. And so I think having that kind of uh, people guiding, that person guiding me was, was very key for me. And I saw it was hard in the first weeks, uh, and, but now I'm seeing like, honestly, life-changing effects on my mental health. Um, the, the amount of anxiety that has just gone away and some like some obsessive like uh, objects that I always focus on and then stress and then get anxious like some of them you know I am able to think about them and just not not worry too much or not just stress and I mean apart from I became a vegetarian also at the same time so this might have helped who knows um, but yeah I mean that's the the most the biggest change the, and uh, for my mental health like right now i go to the gym and i don't even think like oh i'm gonna get some gains <laughs> right and like uh, have a bigger bigger muscle uh, structure or whatever i'm just like oh dude i'm gonna be more healthy but especially i'm gonna be less anxious and that's very very important for me yeah i'm i'm very much the same way so i also go to the gym and and my thoughts aren't oh, i'm gonna be huge i'm gonna be this huge dude that's like walking around and massive yeah. muscles all I'm thinking about is this gives me mental clarity. I get uh, mm. an hour mm. of the gym before I start my day, and like yeah, I have this, cool. this this mental clarity, and I almost feel calm. Mm. And I, I lost all of that in in COVID times, obviously, because mm. I couldn't go to the gym, and there was no, you know, you couldn't buy gym equipment anywhere. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, yeah. you couldn't buy right. a single dumbbell anywhere, or 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 a bike, or a peloton, or whatever. Like all of that had gone. Yeah, and, right. and so yeah it really did affect my my mental health and I, I, yeah i believe you <laughs> and luckily gyms in my area where i live they've been open almost a year now cool so, so nice. i've been been able to go back and get into my regular routine but people that i think people don't realize how much a good workout can really help mentally that's crazy yeah except that's from crazy. the physical part of it where you yeah you know cardio health whatever but like the mental aspect of, of yeah. working out really adds clarity to to a day. And, and you know, like uh, when I was a teenager and a kid, I used to be a very like uh, like sports driven guy. Mm -hmm. I did a lot of sports and was talented in that. But I kind of lost it uh, with adulthood. And 
when I read stuff about mental health, when I saw therapists and psychiatrists, everyone was saying, oh, this is very important, right? It has to be part of your life hygiene and regimen and blah, blah, blah. And even I, when I was talking about mental health, like I did some témoignage, uh, uh, how do you say that? Like some testimonials yep. and some videos. And I was saying, oh, this part, like uh, exercise and fitness is very important. But I wasn't you know, taking it very seriously myself. I wouldn't, I would go on long walks. I would do a hike here and there. I would do a little, but never like real physical effort. And like that, like changes the chemicals in your body and your yeah. mind. And once I started doing it, I was like, Jesus, I should have like listened to my own advice more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Should have listened to it years ago. Right. That's always, the, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, so outside of, of you know, the health stuff, uh, I guess a big part of e-commerce and, and, and things in general is maybe the thoughts on, on sort of Bitcoin, Web3, crypto, all that kind of stuff. Like, oh, yeah. are you, are you keen in that space? Are you, yeah. uh, are you, what, what, what's your thoughts on Web3? Yeah. This, um, so many things to say about this, but <laughs> so when we were a bit younger, so still in uni, um, one of our friends, kind of fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. That was mm -hmm. years ago. And he was kind of our local prophet. You know, he, he didn't, he never kept his mouth shut about it. He kept going on about it, told us to buy Bitcoin, buy Bitcoin, buy Bitcoin, explained us how the white paper worked, how, how this would like the biggest thing since the internet. And what's funny is that dude had given us like a bad investment advice when we were younger and we had mm. lost, I don't know, maybe 80 bucks. But at that time, it was very meaningful in our network. You know, and we're like, right. F you, dude. We're not going to buy your sketchy thing again. And eventually, he was so persistent that we kind of all did, you know. And that was back when uh, Bitcoin was like uh, hundreds of dollars, you know. Right. Yep. So what I told him is like, can you promise me that this is going to help me clear my student loans or something? And he was like, yeah, 100%. Uh, I said, okay, let's do it, you know. And eventually it did help me <laughs> uh, clear that. But now I wish I, I didn't use it to clear that. Right. <laughs> you know what yep. I mean? um, and yeah, I, I kind of got into Bitcoin uh, a lot. Now it's uh, I'm softly involved, let's say. Like I, I old and uh, I, I read about it here and there. So I listen to some podcasts. I re really like the ethos of Bitcoin and like it's – uh, there is so much serendipity in Bitcoin in how it was created, by whom, like some unknown entity, Satoshi, and how that person or group disappeared and never moved their coins. And like the mining and the distribution was very, very fair in the beginning. And it survived a decade more of social, political, technical attacks. You know, some would say it's anti-fragile. Uh, I love it. You know, I think, I think it's freaking great. And I think it's like the best hedge you can have against uh, maybe more traditional systems, like not necessarily collapsing, but struggling. And right. um, I, I, I'm also a big fan of uh, its uh, decentralization and like resistance to censorship. And like you see, you see like uh, kind of not fairy tales, but staple tales in the Bitcoin uh, evolution where 
take El Salvador recently, like the whole country adopted Bitcoin as a standard, right? So yep. the, this, this isn't a perfect story. And there's probably some, some whack stuff also going on in El Salvador. I don't know any, everything, but like, it's such a powerful story to say, oh, a country which like historically had a shit economy and a lot of corruption and blah, blah, blah. Now that country is like, is running on Bitcoin. Like that's like, that's a powerful they think to say and it, it can inspire a lot and you've seen uh, countries with a lot of like deflated or uh, highly inflated sorry um, uh, um, currencies like uh, venezuela zimbabwe and there was this other one that i always forget but like some people were able to like save some of their life savings by by going into this alternate uh, economy that isn't like centralized and government controlled so yeah, it's a rabbit hole. Uh, I think people should definitely just like at least start by reading the white paper by Satoshi and try to understand why people are talking about this. And the myth that, oh, it's just a financial asset and it's too late to get into it because the price is so high. This is bullshit. Like uh, Bitcoin is a capped number of, uh, of coins that are going to be mined and it's a deflationary currency. Uh, so like value is going to go up and utility to... You see it with people saying, oh, you can't like buy a coffee with Bitcoin. Well, that's not true anymore. You got the lightning yeah. network and you can do it in a snap. So uh, it's beautiful technology and people should really get into it. Now, that's kind of my uh, Bitcoin. I'm not a, I wouldn't call myself a maximalist uh, of any sort, but like my leanings and allegiances, let's say, are very much towards Bitcoin. However, um, I'm, I'm, I'm able to see that there is if not value enough hype and capital and excitement going on in web tree generally for, for it to result into something interesting, like it's, it's a very bubblish uh, situation. You have kind of nuts mechanics going on with the NFTs drop and then people reselling it and people becoming like a part of a NFT tribe with the, you know, uh, Oh, what's the the ape thing and, and the, yep. the lion, the lazy lions and the punks. And like, I think it's, culturally it's very, very interesting to see. And maybe NFTs like become the way we, we kind of have uh, status symbols in the future in one way or another, whether it's, it's the metaverse or just like our, our profile pictures on some uh, Twitter or whatever. I think it's interesting. I think uh, it's uh, it's too early to say like if, this is going to be a life and world changing thing, but I think dismissing it uh, entirely is maybe naive. And um, so I looked into it a little bit. I'm not highly, uh, especially involved in the NFT community, but I think it it has a lot of potential for for many use utility cases, and not just uh, not just digital art, which I think is like a legit use case in and of yeah. itself for 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 that matter. Um, yeah. Other than that, you have this whole these whole other ecosystems. So yeah, Ethereum that has a lot of things being built upon it, and that as for better or worse, like you know, survive the. I don't know. It isn't a decade, I think, but like a long time. A long time. And, yeah. Yeah. And is is there going to be like a very serious utility that comes from that? I don't know. Uh, but they found ways to, to generate uh, developer interest and investor interest and just tons of coins living and tokens living on top of that. So we'll see. And um, yeah, I, I, I kind of wonder how, how this thing is all going to play out. But 
like, why not just drop one hundred dollars or right. two hundred dollars into it? just just like give you a tiny tiny bit of stake? And if you can't afford to drop that, don't do it. Like, or drop twenty dollars. Right? This is not investment advice, but just like be curious about this, this this thing. We're technologists, right? We build stuff online. We build stuff with technology. Like this deserves at least curiosity. Uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel about the whole thing. You? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm 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 in the same boat. So I own a small investment in in Bitcoin, um, hmm. because yeah, I believe in the same vein as you that Bitcoin will. You know, it's never too late to get into Bitcoin, whether you get in now at sixty k or you got in at a hundred dollars. Yep. Like yeah, if you got a hundred dollars, you're in a real good spot right now, and you've held this for a long time. Um, yeah. So yeah, I've always been kind of in that space, um, just kind of dabbling here and there. I think NFTs are, I think there's some u- utility use there that's not being used right now. Like the digital art space is super cool, and I think it allows people to to maybe understand a bit more behind what the crypto space is. Um, and I own an NFT. I have one. Um, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I own one single NFT, and that'll probably be, you know, the only one I ever own. Maybe we'll see. Um, yeah. And I think you, I think your your sort of advice there of like, why not dabble a small amount of money? Like, if you've got a spare hundred dollars that you were thinking about investing in stocks and shares of Tesla, for example, like if you wanted <laughs> to buy a partial stock. Um, why not invest in the crypto space instead? Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. We're technologists. We build. Do people believe that React or Vue or the Jamstack was going to make this big like force into yeah. Web 2.0, right? If you look, when when I started out a decade ago, nobody was talking about any of this technology. Like JavaScript was still seen as like this red-headed stepchild of 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 the yeah. internet and you could yeah. only use it very yeah. sparingly and like everything was built you know from the back end and you know yeah no totally agree and i mean don't underestimate the power of um of culture also right, right? like yeah. uh you, you see it in the web tree space like whole tribes and languages and acronyms and yep. and memes have, have, have very quickly evolved and they have significant influence, right? They can, uh, these things like, let's say like memes move markets today, right? Yeah. It's not just like a, a piece in the New York times that you read that's going to affect uh, whatever is going on, like people and memes and how it spreads, this all plays out. So things could go faster than we thought. And to go back to the Jamstack, I remember when, uh, Matt Billman from, uh, Netlify told me like, oh yeah, we, we've been working with Tom Press and Warner and, we, we think like the modern static web is a bad name. So we want to like coin something that's a bit more catchy. They'll help people rally. rally. And I, he said Jamstack. And I thought to myself, wow, that's a shit name. Yeah, uh, right? but, like, but yeah, you know, so, but then again, I was also always uh, open to experimenting with content and like placing long bets. And that's kind of what we did at Snipcard. And to be like really honest, we dominated the SERP for a bit there. Like not anymore. But because but but you know and when when we started creating content around Jamstack, the biggest search volume was around Jamstack, the guitar amplifier that was still in the SERP back then. Mm-hmm. You know, so you had like a shitty mixed uh, SERP on Google results. Um, 
but yeah, like m- many of our gr- personal growth, our careers, our businesses were positively influenced by this new this new yeah. way of building. So, so don't underestimate. Yeah, the the next thing, I guess. Yep. Yeah, and I, I mean, I owe a lot of my later, you know, career to to the Jamstack. Like, yeah. I I I put a long bet on Next when next was still good bet. In, yeah a very good bet now <laughs> it was in the infancy and like gatsby was still dominating the space like hard yeah, 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 and, yeah. and next was like this thing that people and i was like i'm betting on this underdog i guarantee they will be the future and i built a lot of content on next before it really took off in like you know 9.3 9.2 space of next so I built before then. So I've been reaping the rewards since then, basically, mm. because I was like, that's my long bet is that like next is going to be the next hot thing. And I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that I uh, put that bet on because here did we you are. See, did you see like uh, that uh, the guy from Svelte, what's his goal? Yes. Yeah, Rich, Rich Harris yep, that yep. is now uh, working Part for Svelte. Yep. Yeah, that's huge, right? Yeah, that's that's going to be huge in the space. And I... I I don't know how many people know how big that's going to be. Yeah, Having the backing yeah. of like Guillermo and Vercel behind Svelte and having him as part of the team yeah. it basically yeah. means that Next and Svelte will be tightly coupled and yeah. you'll be able to build some really cool stuff. Yeah, that's going to be insane. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So we're basically coming to the end of the show, (laughs) but I want to cover your top picks that you wrote in the doc because the top picks are exciting. Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm a big, I'm a big, I'm a big video game fan. I'm a big movie buff. Um, So let's start with your couple of picks that you have for video games, which are super exciting for me at least. Okay. So yeah, I picked a, I picked a death loop. And then Back for Blood. So that loop is this nuts, uh, like time loop, um, like you re- kind of Groundhog Day thing that you replay always the same day. But uh, it has a roguelike, uh, roguelike uh, vibe to it where some of the stuff you can carry with you when the day restarts. And uh, like it's, it's insane the amount of new details, new information, new kind of lore you get into every time you go through a whole day and uh, the mechanics are just crazy it's uh, arcane studios i think it's the one yeah. the, the people who made the um, dishonored one and two and like it really feels dishonored and there's even like a crazy theory that it's in the same universe not a crazy theory a good theory you can look it up on youtube so first person shooter uh i love it it's 60s themed the music the colors the design so the art direction is crazy um, I play this by myself mostly, and then uh, yeah, Back for Blood is just this uh, spiritual successor to Left for Dead, uh, a co-op zombie game that I used to play uh, when I was younger with some friends, and now it's uh, it's a bit more sophisticated. Like there's a card system and whatnot, but you know it's just good fun to plug plug in with a friend and go through some missions and uh, excursions and 
shoot zombies and talk, but it's it's actually kind of difficult. <laughs> uh, or maybe I'm just like very noob at it. But uh, yeah, like you, you cannot just mindlessly shoot zombies. You kind of have to think about, oh, am I going to throw this propane cane over there, can over there? So yeah, Back for Blood, uh, of course, uh, very <laughs> gory and violent. But uh, I like uh, I like the the multiplayer. So that's for uh, yeah, that's for the video games. Are you playing anything on your end? I just started Deathloop. Oh, which nice. is, yeah, cool. I, I just picked it up uh, like a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, it's you're right. It's very much like feels very dishonored. Like you can be very sneaky and sneak around and it has that vibe to it. The yeah. color and the art, it's it's gorgeous. And I've been really, really enjoying the whole thing from the minute I started it. I was like, this game is going to hold my like you can just start a run whenever. And like mm-hmm. you can yeah, have a cool. really like cool experience you can just explore the world and look for tiny details yeah. and the law, the way that they lay out the law. Uh, so yeah. Like every time you go through the loop, you're like, huh, I found something out new. And then yeah, like yeah, that yeah. leads to another breadcrumb. And yeah, so I've been playing that a lot recently and I, I've been cool. having a blast. So yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad it was on your list when I saw it. I was like, yes, yeah, nice. somebody else to talk to. Um, yeah. And so the next topic you have for a movie is Dune, the movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen it yet, but okay. maybe give your, I don't know, 30 second review of, of, of what you uh, thought. Yeah. 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 Of how you um, thought, what you thought and, and would you recommend? So, uh, the director, Denis Villeneuve is actually a Quebecer, right? If you look at any of his interviews, you'll hear the strong thick Quebec accent. And I'm a big, big fan, like of his work. I think like the way he creates set pieces where like, uh, the whole uh, atmosphere environment kind of re- re- relies on very like specific colors and like that you can feel uh, a scene uh, is very uh, potent like with with color and richness so I, I really like visually speaking i really liked it some i think some people criticized uh, the, that it was too like monochrome or monotone or something like that i didn't didn't even see that uh, i loved it uh, so visually, it was a masterpiece, and uh, I'm a big science fiction uh, fan. However, I had never read Dune. I kind of knew the premise. I tried to watch the 1980s movie, didn't kind of stick. So I, I didn't know a lot about uh, the story in and of itself, and that it, I rarely say that, but for me, it was a plus. Like I went into this movie with lo- regular expectations. Of course, it's a Denis Villeneuve movie, so I had some expectations, but I was blown away. Uh, the action is great. The way they construct the science fiction lore, where there's this kind of not spoken about background where intelligent machines almost kill all of humanity, so they banned them. So there's kind of a low-tech approach inside of Dune, uh, where a lot of hand-to-hand fights and... Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I really found it dope, and I, uh, the the score was was great too. So I think people should look into it. Cool. Yeah, it's definitely it's on my list to watch. I just I haven't had time. I was on vacation last week. I probably should have watched it then. But um, yeah, I also tried the same thing as you, which is to watch the nineteen eighties Dune, <laughs> yeah. and I just it wasn't for me. And I uh, and I, yeah, I never read the book. I am a big book fan, and I've never read the book, and it is on my list of like old books to go back and read <laughs> yeah. um yeah. but yeah I, i'm looking forward to to catching it and, and seeing yeah. seeing what the hype was about um let's talk about robots and empire 
Yeah, Isaac Asimov. Uh, yes. So um, um, my goal was to finish, like, to read all of the Asimov, uh, like, there's Robots, Foundation, Empire, I don't remember. Like, all these series of Asimov before looking, watching the Amazon show. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it Amazon? The Foundation show? Yeah. Yeah, I think so, yeah. So, but... <sighs> I'm 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 struggling to finish uh, the robot series. I, I really like it. It's just like reading and not doing audiobooks is hard for me. And this yep. this last one, uh, Robots and Empire for the robot series, I couldn't find it on the Audible or some audio version. So I had to buy the print and I'm I'm, I'm starting to read it. And the way he develops plots that span decades, centuries, millennia. And it's in the same universe, and it all ties back together. Like it's very cool. It's very very cool, and it's kind of almost like a guilty pleasure of like thinking about the three laws of robot robotic robotics and how it impacts the psyche of robots and what they do or don't don't do. Um, so I, I really I really like it. I think it's uh, it's uh, interesting to see. I'm I'm at a place where you know uh, humans from Earth have started colonizing other other galaxies and systems and the 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 first the spacers the kind of the early early humans who colonized it are kind of stuck in their ways and there might be a war looming out yeah i really like it (laughs) awesome yeah it's uh, i i haven't actually read that series i i know of the series okay yeah i'm I'm the same way i haven't read them but they're definitely on i'm I'm a big like sci-fi that that's my big thing like i grew up science my dad wrote read science fiction to me my whole like childhood and stuff so yeah i'm I'm pretty lucky in that space and i think i'll have to add this to my list this is why i love doing this podcast because i find new things to read (laughs) or watch um and then let's talk so you turned you said you turned vegetarian yeah a few vegan restaurants so where are you located just so people have an idea oh yeah i'm in quebec city okay uh but i say i'm two hours and a half away from montreal Right. And Montreal is a much more cosmopolitan place. You know, yep. there's much more diversity in all sorts of ways. And my, my girlfriend is vegan. So we off, when we go to the restaurant, we try to find vegan options. And in Montreal, it's just next level compared to here. Uh, so in, in Montreal, you have like the Lola Rosa, which is crazy good. Uh, it's kind of a not high-end, but kind of fancy way to eat vegan. Bowhead Pub, if you want to do like, uh, nasty like uh junk food and like pub food but that is 100 percent vegan we were blown away by that and i went to the green panther they have a few restaurants i think in montreal and like for a healthy uh, lunch with some people uh, it was just great so these three uh restaurants in, in montreal i highly recommend awesome so we are at the end of the show this is yes. your time to plug anything you want so what, what would you if 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 any listeners haven't checked out Snipcart, what what would you tell them to just head to the website or? Yeah, uh, you can do snipcart.com and try to. There's a demo, easy to access. If you want to play with it, um, if you want to learn more about the acquisition story, I wrote about it on my blog. So that's flantienado.com. Uh, maybe we can link this. Yeah, somewhere. I'll put a link in the show notes for that one. So that and, and if you want to talk about product, about marketing, about startups, about mental health, all that stuff, you can DM me on Twitter. I try to find some time to chat uh, with people who have similar interests and challenges. And uh, yeah, I, I hope everyone's doing well, keeping fit, staying healthy. 
oh, I'm going to Israel in like uh, two days. Nice. <laughs> two days, yeah, to see some folks from Duda. So uh, nice trip coming up. Awesome. Hey, listen, James, I hope things are good on your end. We haven't talked about Tina. Uh, maybe we can do this another time. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, I hope things, everything are, are good. And I, I really appreciate you uh, sharing some time with me. Yeah, me too. I appreciate you coming out. And um, yeah, I had, a, I had a blast. The hour went past real Same. quick. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, man.